Also, he has a really weird saying in there, which I totally disagreed with, but I thought it was funny that he thought it was important to talk about, which was, he said like, which is a saying, and I think it was the Navy or something where they said, uh, slow is efficient. Efficient is fast. Slow is fast. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 126 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm doing all kinds of weird web things. I'm Sam and I'm waving my head around. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, That's and true. working yes. in the games industry. Today is November 20 Cyber 2000 Cyber mm. Team. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's Cyber Monday yeah. today. Cyber Mon week. Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There will be profanity, so if you're a child, get out of here. All right, first thing, news. We had Tijibi. Yep. Which is Thanksgiving break. That's T. For some reason, I feel like if you, if you find a good, punchy acronym to convert a period of time into, it just makes it better. Yeah. You know? So we went with TGB, which just feels amazing to scream for to, some reason. Or TGB, mm-hmm. if you want to really like roll the emphasis around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, first of all, why did we do this? Because what happens in a typical workplace environment is everybody says, my family's coming for Thanksgiving. And then the workplace says, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And then that's sort that's of the end of that exchange. <laughs> uh, usually, most places get either Wednesday off before or just the day of. And then they'll have to go back on Friday. Some places. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So uh, we, were, we were looking at it and we said, you know what, if we actually, because we're going to give off, we originally were going to go off Wednesday and Thursday, you know, like it's, it's typical stuff because people want to be able to prepare for. And we already don't have Friday. Families, we already don't do Fridays. And so, but then we we're looking at it, we said, you know, if we also do Monday and Tuesday, then everybody gets a, like a 10 day break. Yeah. At the cost of only two days of studio time. So what if we just did that give people the time they need to take vacations or go places or be with family and you know it seemed like the right time to do it because we've been doing it just a we've been sort of pedaling to the metal over here mm-hmm. and everyone had a great break it seems like it was a perfect amount of time there's just a lot everyone did a lot of stuff but also didn't lose their marbles you yep. know which is nice i feel like one more day they're just marbles would have been, been a mess would have been everywhere pile on the floor but before tgb we all put actually put together sprint posts so Essentially saying, like we normally do during the week, here's what I'm going to try to do over this 10-day TGB, which for some reason, again, naming it makes it feel like it's a thing, like it's a particular fear, uh, you know, chunk of time. It's like a New Year's resolution sort of thing. So TGB. I made a list of like 15 items I was going to try to do. And of course, I didn't get all of them done. But the whole point being, because I made the list, I got a lot of things done as opposed to- Because you had like, a list to go look yep. at instead of every day waking up and being like, what, what, should, I, what should I do today? <laughs> yeah. So it was great. We worked on uh, talks. Did some, uh, I did some marketing work and then also just played a heinous amount of video games. Yeah. It was great. Heinous. Heinous. You better be careful. You're going <laughs> to, yeah. You're going to go to jail for that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, yeah, I worked on uh, doing some calculus work through Khan Academy as a nice refresher. I took calculus way back in the day. I need it. I need to know it now and I don't know it. Yep. I don't remember it. Don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. Don't even know why it is, what it is, or how it do. It has so, something to do with an apple hitting a man. That's all I've a man, yeah, picked up. A about. man killed an apple mm-hmm. creature. With his head. With his face. Yep. Uh, then something happened. I, think I believe he, he siphoned the knowledge out of it with his fangs. I his think knowledge he, fangs. Yeah, he created some kind of prism uh, mm-hmm. and killed the animal with lasers, I think. <laughs> Uh, I'm not quite, I'm not quite up on the history of calculus. There's a whole mythos, you know, there's a whole thing around it. So I need to sort of relearn that Mm -hmm. whole lore. Um, well, there was also a, a, you know, a battle to the death between the two co-inventors of calculus because yeah, you know, yeah, it it was actually history's first, uh, laser battle. (laughs) So (laughs) prisms, lasers, Mm -hmm. just all that spectacular stuff. Adam had an interesting view about the, the break, which is referring to it actually as a sabbatical. Yeah. Instead of a break, because we've talked about how when you take a weekend, you get weakened from the yeah. weekend. Yes. Right. So the when idea is. you take is, a break, you get broken. You yeah. break. So you do. <laughs> but if you take a sabbatical, you get sabbatted. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we wanted to get sabbatted, not broken, nor weakened. So <laughs> all of a sudden, these are things. Um, but Adam, how was it for you overall? It was spectacular. I spent a solid 30 hours, I think, mm-hmm. over the over the week. Just doing Udemy courses on front-end web development. Just shoving that knowledge in. Yeah, which has been my nemesis since the very beginning. Mostly because it's all, you know, a lot of it's, 
there's a lot of tech there, but there's also a lot of design focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, and since I've been shoring up all of my backend knowledge and in doing all the stuff I've been doing over the past year, uh, but I still can only make really ugly stuff. And, and at, at some point that just becomes like, that's, that's a serious hole that needs to get plugged. Right. Yeah. Uh, but all, like all of my knowledge of front end web development is, you know, based on stuff I just barely learned a long time ago. And so I know some jQuery, know some HTML and CSS, and then I just kind of hack together simple, simple websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to actually learn, you know, the fancy front end frameworks that do all kinds of stuff for you are really cool and magical. And so I just needed a solid window of time to do nothing but think about that. And so that's what I use my break for. Beautiful. It was spectacular. Hell yeah, man. Also, we ate a ridiculous amount of food. We did. Puppy chow, which for you non-Midwestern folk, I think like, I think the Is Czechs, that a Midwestern thing? It's largely Midwestern. I thought, I think Czechs now has like a recipe on the box. They call them Muddy Buddies. Muddy Buddies. What? Yeah, because you can, you can, no, you can buy them. So there's, Muddy there's, Buddies. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's Czechs mix, like the mm-hmm. bags of Czechs mix, right? But they also have a Muddy Buddies bag. It doesn't taste as good as It's not as good because it's presumably mostly Czechs mix is there or something. Yeah. yeah. So Czechs mix is what? It's chocolate, peanut butter, butter, Czechs. Also butter. Butter. You kind of, you kind of turn that into a, into a glob mm-hmm. and then you just like throw them in powdered sugar in a bag and you shake the shit out of it. Yep. And yep. then you end up with this. So it's a Chex little, a Chex hex. I think they're hexagon. So it's a Chex yeah, that's hex. That's the hex part of the Chex. That it's hex. a C hex. Yeah. It's a corn hex. So corn hex. It's a, it's a <laughs> Chex. Wait. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, they, so you take that and, and then basically what happens though is that they get magically converted because they're covered in delicious stuff. And then my favorite part about it is you have this huge bowl afterward of, of uh, if you make it in the quantities that we do in the Midwest, which is only like 10 gallons at a time. Yep. That's the only way to make puppy chow. Yeah. Or muddy buddies. And then the best part is if you pan it. So if you shake the pan of all the stuff, then like the huge ones <laughs> that basically somehow massed, it's a huge sort of abomination of all these checks glommed together, <laughs> shake to the top. Yeah, you and can, you you can pan for fatties, size. for big fat Chex pieces. <laughs> you take this softball-sized glob of chocolate, corn hexes, and powdered sugar, basically. <gasps> oh, man. Then you just, you just bite into that thing like a big, like then, a big sugar apple. Then you take a nap. Then you take a nap because you're going to have diabetes. <laughs> uh, you got to sleep that off. <laughs> take a nap. For so, so that was our uh, Tajibi. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. good uh, we also have, we have a Cyber Mun Week sale. Yep, because it's not it's not a Cyber Monday sale. It lasts for the whole week. You know, we know it's kind of like the Black Friday sale, which is actually the Black Friday week. It really yeah. is now. It really is. So we have our yep. Cyber Monday week sale over at uh, shop.bscotch.net mm-hmm. where we got all of our merch. We also are on sale on iOS. Crashlands is fifty eight percent off. It's a very specific very amount. <laughs> um, so that's going pretty good. And so, yeah, if you Will want to get in on Will that still be those, true when the podcast goes up? Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's going, going through this, like the second or mm-hmm. something like that. Okay. So you got plenty of time. Yeah. But we're don't, gearing up don't for the, don't waste it though. We're gearing up for the holiday season. So if you want to get merch, uh, if you want it shipped in time for Christmas, which you probably do, or I guess just the end of the month, that's your thing, then uh, I think we need to, you need a place to order by the 18th. So yeah. dilly dally. And the sooner the better because we're not, as we've said, we're not Amazon. Yeah, we're we, we just going to get your package when you get there it. There is a single person today. named Monique who will package all your things. Yeah, so she's actually going to bike it to you. Yeah, and that just takes some time. It takes, she's, yeah, it takes minutes. Yeah, and we we here's the thing: we want we want to get you merch, but you have to want to get it more because because <laughs> we're taking as soon as the nineteenth comes, we're oh, we're, we're taking a breather here. That right? vacation that we just had was so good. We we're so another. tired from Thanksgiving break that we got to take a, a sort of. Winter break. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's, you know, get your orders in, especially right now during Cyber Mun Week. Some so you can save money on it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, Sam and I spent a good portion of the break planning our uh, talks for the Uruguay mm-hmm. trip. We're going over to the Level UI conference. Level Up UI, I think. Level Up Uruguay. Level Up Uruguay conference. I don't know where the Y is. The UI. UY is Uruguay's. Uruguay's country abbreviation. abbreviation, I guess. Yeah. All right. Sure. So, uh, so we're doing that. Uh, we're giving, so we're giving a talk on marketing, which has got to be pretty interesting. Um, so we, mm-hmm. we were discussing with the organizers of the conference sort of like what, like, cause we just said, you know, we'll talk about whatever. So just yeah. tell us what you need. Who, what, what do people care about? What do people care about over there? Uh, and they basically said that, um, 
that a lot of smaller developers have a lot of sort of confidence issues when it comes to self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that people tend to not really do a lot of. So right. we, we've done a lot of research for this talk about what, why self-publish and how to self-publish because that's what we do. You know, we don't use a publisher. So that's coming together pretty good. And we've, we've came up with some pretty alarming statistics, facts, facts and figures uh, about sort of the trends in the games industry, which are, you know, we all, I mean, we know where it's going, which is that it's just ludicrously saturated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the extent to which that is becoming the case is just more and more sort of, it's reached a point beyond sort of being alarming and more into sort of like the absurdist absurd. Yeah. So I think it was uh, looking at the steam spy data. So every, every July they put out a, uh, an update on over the previous year, how many, like what's the median number of owners for any given game on mm-hmm. steam based on launch month. And uh, by the time you get into, so in 2011, the median owners per game on steam was 220 something thousand. Now it's 4,000. Yep. So, uh, you know, there's success but, is not guaranteed. But again, uh, this is simply because so many games are coming out, most of which don't do anything. Um, and of course, so the average sales on Steam are something closer to 50,000. Uh, but the median is 4,000, which basically tells you that most games do nothing. And then a handful of games do really, really, really well. Yep. Uh, which has kind of always been the case, but there's just more room. Well, at, there's more room at the bottom now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually... It's always been the case, except that the games that didn't do well weren't even in the market. Right. right. They just never ended up on Steam. Right. So really, the market is exactly the same as it always has been. It's just a lot except more Except all stuff. the stuff that also doesn't sell anything is now visible in that market to some yeah. extent. Yeah. So, uh, so that's- Because well, this is what I saw last year when I did that analysis to look at- Well, we actually re-read, we reread it to yeah, put together right. some of this talk. Yeah. yeah. So, and that was what I saw that time, is that if you look at the top of the graph over time- it's basically Those games same. that are up there that, that are performing really well, there's kind of the same, just the same number of stuff selling the same number of copies up there. Yeah. So if you're like, what what are the sales figures for the top, you know, 10 or top 20 games on Steam? Right. And it's just it the just same. It comes out the same. comes out the same every time. Yep. There's just more and more stuff kind of filling out those lower, lower layers. Right. Yeah. Actually, I think you should revisit that uh, article because there's some pieces you said where you're like, I can't tell this until I yeah, need to do another analysis. Yep. You should read through it. It's pretty interesting. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so we, we've been working on that and we're leaving next week. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 18 hours of flying. I think I got books. I, I think I only have enough books to get there cause it's an 18 hour trip. And I'm going to easily read like three books. Yeah. The thing I need to figure out mostly is what to do about my ass. Cause, <laughs> cause is sitting, that what we all need to figure sitting, out <laughs> <laughs> every time I've flown to India, is your ass time, well, no, by the time I get like five hours in my tailbone just fucking hurts from mm. sitting just on these, like, really uncomfortable You should get a neck pillow. And then use it, and as, then your use it as a butt pillow. Yeah, because what you need is really, you need kind of like a bicycle seat where, like, it pads your butt cheeks, but then it leaves room for your tailbone, you know? Mm. I think it's kind of stupid that we have a, a tailbone to begin with, but... We don't have tails anymore, so probably... We just have ridiculous. a bone for where it used to be. We just use a neck pillow and then flip it, you know, so it's like a toilet seat, basically, but yep. inverted. Mm. So the holes in the back where your tailbone is. There you yeah. go. I'm going to do that. <laughs> that solves all your problems. Or you get two sort of skinny pillows, but one under each leg. Yeah. You know, kind of mm-hmm. elevate yourself. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's sort of my number one concern right now is- <laughs> Blood clots. So I'm going to see if that's I'm going to yeah, ass preservation, yeah. blood clots. You got to mm-hmm. stand up and stretch. Uh, also, you, it's a United flight, so we might you die. You might get assaulted. <laughs> that does actually help with the blood clots, though. Like it When does. they kind of beat the shit out of really you, gets it, it really it loosens yeah. up the blood, you mm-hmm. know, kind of gets like- Blunt force trauma. When you go to the hospital, they put those leg massagers on there. And on a United flight, the attendants just come by and punch you in the leg <laughs> sort of every now and then. So, and you also have to go through U.S. Customs on the way back, which is- Then you get punched there as well. hellscape. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Yep, they will. I, I remember one time I flew for 30 hours coming from India. And I landed in Chicago and I got to Chicago and you have to go through customs mm-hmm. and you go back through security. When I went back through security, they swiped my hands with one of those stupid chemical mm-hmm. pads and they're like, there's gunpowder on your hands. I'm like, you guys, I've already been flying for 30 hours. <laughs> like if, <laughs> if, if, I was gonna, from? if I was going to do something, you missed the moment like a long time ago here. <laughs> but also where would it have come from? Uh, yeah. You know? 
which kind I of didn't have it on me before. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. somehow some I land in Chicago. Now I have gunpowder on me. Like maybe. I mean, there is a lot of gunfire <laughs> in Chicago. So maybe it's just it's just kind of in the United States. It's just kind say. of a gunpowder sort of cloud. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind it sure of seems like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So then one final thing to talk about in the news before we get on to questions mm-hmm. is. Loot boxes. So you know what we told you guys this we, was coming. We called this shit Gray Rhino. We so talked about over the summer we talked about Rocket League and their loot boxes and how we were kind of bummed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Overwatch, I think. Talk about that one. Overwatch, and we and and then a, a probably four or five episodes ago, maybe more than that, we talked about uh, the the concept of a Gray Rhino, which is a an oncoming event that everybody should see coming, but nobody seems to do anything about it or get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about potential gray rhinos in the games industry and loot boxes was kind of the thing at the top of our mind as something that is probably going to cause some problems that people don't really, uh, for some reason, want to foresee, probably because there's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. So just over the past like week, yeah. two weeks, yeah. uh, the conversation about loot boxes has taken a hilarious turn. Mm-hmm. It's first starting with uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, which is published by Electronic Arts. Um, so what happened with Star Wars Battlefront 2 is it's a $60 premium game. And uh, EA just crammed it full of loot boxes for things that were required to progress through the game and to mm-hmm. unlock new uh, capabilities. So like all the different heroes that you were going to play as and equipment and stuff like that. Um, you could either grind for hours and hours and hours. Well, I think it was, it's not even just hours and hours. It's wasn't it 4,000 hours. The, somebody did the math and it came out to like, you'd have to work full time, 40 hours a week for a year and a half to unlock all the stuff in the game. Beautiful. Uh, or you could spend $2,100 to get on loot boxes. Mm-hmm. Actually, are, do they sell loot boxes or do they sell Because this might be a separate problem. No, they sold loot boxes. It was loot yeah, boxes. The, the, the stuff that you boxes. got, you couldn't ah. ever get the thing you wanted. It was through these loot boxes. And and for those who are unfamiliar, loot boxes uh, is like it's like a little I like a chest or a crate or oh, something. The best way to think about it is the, the physical version of it's this a slot is, machine. is your well, it's a slot machine, <laughs> but a slot the, machine, the yeah. physical version is also like getting card packs, right? If you go to get a Pokemon card pack, you don't know what's in it. You don't buy a particular card, you buy this pack, and there's this experience of unwrapping it and getting stuff. Um, yep. the difference with the loot box course is it's a digital good, and uh, in the case of these, like the progression of a game that already is a $60 game being bound to this loot box system gets kind of weird. Yeah. It violates people's expectations because they assume that if they've paid for the game, now they have the game and now they can achieve things in the game and, uh, and progress through the game through playing it. Right. Because that's reasonable. Uh, and so electronic arts came into Reddit to try to like one of their community relations team members came into Reddit to try to tamp down this, this problem and they simply made sort of a very sort of cut and paste uh pr statement about how everything in the game is is optimized to sort of maximize the amount of pride and a, and sense of accomplishment that players feel and which of course was a total cop out because <laughs> that is absolutely not what uh, a Buying paid random does. loot box does you don't feel proud for getting a random you know Darth Vader unlock or something for paying $5 uh, and so that comment quickly became literally the most downvoted comment in the history of Reddit. Last I checked, it was over 700,000 downvotes. <laughs> That's um, pretty impressive. Which, so this, this turned into a huge PR nightmare for EA. Got big enough that it actually hit the mainstream media. Hit the mainstream media. Um, and this is where the problem actually finally begins for yeah. EA. So, uh, so then there, so Star Wars is owned by Disney. And it's not owned by EA. Mm-hmm. And uh, Disney has a philosophy. I think there was a was a GamesIndustry.biz yes. article. Definitely worth reading about uh, how Disney approaches their intellectual property. And basically, Disney's stance is the preservation of the value of the IP is absolutely paramount. And anything that will damage people's perception of the IP needs to be dealt with immediately. Even, even at short term. Even if it's profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the CEO of Disney called the CEO of actor of uh, EA and had had some words and then, <laughs> um, and now EA is, is, uh, changing that entire model. They're, they're turning off the microtransactions. However, their, their announcement was that 
they will be turning those microtransactions back on at a later date once they have rebalanced things. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not the this is not the end of it, but there was just this just overwhelming sort of tsunami of community backlash mm-hmm. that just crushed EA under this. Um, so that happened, and then just over the weekend, I think on Friday, uh, some news came out about Destiny Two, mm. who so also De- sell. Well, they're called bright engrams, but it's loot. It's yeah. Great. So the way the way progression works in Destiny Two is you level up. It's a it's a shooter MMO kind of a thing. You level up to the max level, which is level twenty, and then from there your experience bar stays. But now experience doesn't give you levels; it gives you loot boxes. Mm-hmm. So you get the XP bar to the end. You get a bright engram, which is a loot box. So it's basically you just pull a slot machine, you know, lever and you get some new thing for your Which character. Again, if it's just in the context of the game, that's fine. It's fine. Um, but the of course, you can buy them. Of course, they sell bright engrams. I believe they are cosmetic items. Um, so this is this does sort of it takes a, a less sinister tone, unlike the. Uh, I think there's weapons in there. There, there might be, but okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty clear. sure that it's it's cosmetic. But um, so the so that's that's not bad in and of itself. The kicker is that. Uh, Activision was suppressing the truth about how much experience people were getting, where the longer somebody spent trying to get experience points to unlock these things, the more they would suppress how much experience they got. And so essentially what they were doing is they were singling out the players who wanted these things the most and making it harder for them to get them through normal gameplay, uh, which would then visibly. Yep. But invisibly. So, so they would actually... Well, in fact, it wasn't even visibly. I think they... They lied. It was supposed... Like, it the, was... Yeah. So the game would say, you just got 5,000 experience for defeating that thing. But really, it would give you, like, 100 or yeah. something. So, so Yeah. It would just take longer and longer to do everything. Yeah. Right. So the, so the more energy you put into unlocking these things, uh, the more the game would suppress your progress uh, while telling you that you that your progress was not being suppressed. So this, of course, exploded. Uh, <laughs> as one might expect, because the, the intention there is, again, it's, it's just like, uh, EA's sort of cop out response of, well, this is to give players a sense of pride and accomplishment, you know? Uh, nope. This is just another thing to quietly, s- to quietly single out the players who really want a thing and try to find ways to get them to pay for it, extract instead. cash from them. Yep. Um, so this happened, there was a big, uh, sort of PR, uh, post by, Activision about going or by Bungie actually mm-hmm. going in and saying, yep, we you know we've, we've reviewed the data and we, we see that, you know, this system isn't doing what we had hoped it would do. And yeah. so we're going to, so we're going to update this system. Uh, anyways, all this is to say this shit is getting out of control and it's now reached a point where, so it's kind of the lines between sort of like online slot machine and video game are getting blurred so much so that so i know the state of hawaii had a big referendum yeah well basically the uh, was it a senator or who was it it was a it was a state rep in hawaii yeah, yeah. who basically came out and said this is insane he goes this is a star wars themed casino that's what he called yeah it. and he said you know we 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 came together with the, against the tobacco industry mm-hmm. to say you're not going to use joe camel to convince our kids to smoke and we're we should also not allow companies to use star wars to convince our kids to gamble yeah you know it's Ooh, just like, like Ooh, damn. <laughs> that's, hidden, that's hidden somewhere. And then uh, over over the, across the pond uh, in Belgium, they're doing an investigation about the whole thing and apparently planning to take some something to the EU about potential regulations for this stuff. Uh, the UK gambling body, I believe, uh, found it to be not technically gambling because it doesn't do one of the things that that is required by their laws before they can intervene, which is essentially being able to pull the converted currency back out into real world money. Um, but they did basically said like, this is getting, this is real blurry. really blurring the lines here. Get real weird. Yeah. Uh, Cause it is the case that, that it is definitely in violation of the terms of use for these games, but it is something that players do, which is to resell their accounts for those games to other players. Um, so you can, you know, spend money on these loot boxes, get items for your character and then sell that account to somebody else. So, I mean, it, it isn't the case that these things don't have a real world. Yeah, but monetary I mean, value. But if if it's against the terms of use, that's not, and there, there's not a mechanism provided for right. that. I don't think there's a yeah. any argument there at all that mm-hmm. that's yeah. right. what's happening. But yeah, so uh, so again, this is coming. This <laughs> is coming. It's <laughs> arrived in some forms already. So I'm really curious to see kind of what happens 
to the regulatory landscape over this. And when, when someone's just going to say like that, that state rep did that, yeah, this is just straight up gambling. You guys are just, it's all you're doing. Well, I, I think um, just like how the term, you know, microtransaction sort of became a dirty word for quite a while. Um, now loot box is, is yep. reaching that same point where if somebody, as soon as somebody says that a game has loot boxes in it, right. you know, how many people is that going to turn off from, from playing that game? Um, and so that, that's actually something that has kept me from wanting from, from buying Overwatch. Um, it's something that's kind of pushed me away from Rocket League where before they had loot boxes, I was really into the game. And then uh, all of a sudden I keep getting these, these like boxes that I need to now spend dollars to buy keys to open and get random rewards, you know? And you're like, can uh, I just buy what I want? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't like the can game just dangling. Yeah. Cause like their, their original model was you just buy, you just, they would they just show you things and you buy, they'd them. show you things. You're like, I want that thing. And you spend a dollar on it. You know, I was totally happy to do that, mm -hmm. but now I don't get to make that decision. Now I have to gamble like the game. <laughs> if I want to get a new thing, I have to gamble, right. which I don't like. Um, so, I mean, I know personally, this has pushed me away from either purchasing games or playing games that I already owned. And I have to wonder how much that's, you know, doing the same for a lot mm -hmm. of other people. Well, so, but the the problem here is that it's such an effective way to pull money out of correct, people, specific people. Yeah, yeah, but but enough of them and enough money. Yeah, um, and the the games themselves are now completely designed around doing that. Oh, it's good. It's so common. that it doesn't actually matter if your population of players decreases, even like even if you have your population of players as a consequence. If you're making ten times more money from the rest yeah, on average, right? Yeah. Then then you're still going to do just financially way way better. Uh, and unfortunately, that's where all the incentives are. Yeah. So I think I think we're stuck with this until until the regulation comes it. in. Yeah. Yep. God dang. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this gray rhino is continuing to barrel <laughs> toward the games industry, mm -hmm. uh, and everybody's going to try to make as much money as they can and not and it's bother. Given all of us about, it's kind of like back in the '90s when everyone was all up in arms about violence in video games, mm -hmm. and it gave all the video games a bad name. Yeah. For a long time, actually. So now video games are gambling. Now video games are gambling. Thanks, EA. Now they're violent gambling. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, people are less concerned about because there's a lot of money involved. For and it. as long as there's not a nipple. Yeah. You know, as long as no... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The violence is fine. Uh, violence and gambling. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep those nipples out of there. Uh, so that's happening. Uh, we'll see. Where, we'll see what happens. Great Rhino Watch. That's what we'll be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then there's a question of of is there something that you can do as a savvy person to sort of take advantage of these companies not getting out of the way so you could like you could try to like short EA short stock. EA stock <laughs> which I would not recommend doing because if you, you should literally never short a stock ever. you should never short a stock because if you if you short a stock you're the best way to go bankrupt yeah your best case scenario is that you double your money and your worst case scenario is that you owe infinite money because yeah. there's no limit to how high a stock can go, mm. but there is a limit to how low it can go. Uh, anyways, a little investor tip for you. All right. <laughs> yeah, don't. I don't. Guess. Don't short things. Yep. Uh, all right. Unless, you're, unless you have insider trading information, in which case that's illegal and you're going to jail. All right. <laughs> well, well, you're not going to go to jail. No, you're, Let's be real. You're, you're not going to be fine. <laughs> if, as, long as, you, as long as you do it big enough, you definitely yeah, won't go to yeah. jail. Uh, Martha Stewart, though. No, she went to jail. <laughs> it of does all, happen. Of all people. Of yeah. all people. Anyways, all right, let's get out of some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your questions on a future episode, head on over there and uh, ask away. First question comes from Retro Banana Man NL. Nano Remo is over. How did it go for you? I tried, but life happened. Thesis stuff. So I only reached 5K words. Sad face. Mm. How'd it go for you guys? I didn't do it. So I got caught up at the up to the halfway point, which was then. When uh, then we had a few days of intense work and then Thanksgiving break started. Yeah. So for Thanksgiving break, I had two choices. So one was finish my Nanorimo project and the other one was learn stuff, learn stuff. And so <laughs> I decided for that break that I wanted to, cause mostly because I wanted to be able to apply from the web dev stuff to my work the moment I got back. Uh, and so I just, I needed that week to just be able to dive into a thing and learn it. Uh, otherwise I literally wouldn't be able to do the job that I needed to do for who knows how long? Slightly more months, important. right? So I decided that, that was more important at the time, and then that's what it is. So I basically I wrote twenty five thousand words from an Remo, Then Thanksgiving break started, and I did. You like, made a choice. I made a choice and did thirty hours of Udemy courses instead. Uh, and I still am going to finish my Remo project, though. 
It's because a programming book, isn't it? It's a, it's a book about computer com- stuff. How computers work. Yeah. For the layperson. Yeah. But like but for like the smart layperson who just actually wants to know. Not the not that computers for dummies style where it's just right. like, give me the bare minimum I can scrape by with, you know. So whenever I think of a layperson, I think of a person laying on the ground being like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. It's not, <laughs> not far from the truth, I don't think. Well, how'd yours go, Seth? What's your situation? Uh, I got up to 31,000 words, and, and then I reached a similar crossroads, mm-hmm. I think, where... Oh, so your technique was completely different, because you would just... I just did it in, like, 8,000-word bursts. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think there's a couple. there were a couple questions I wanted to answer with National Writing Month, which is, is this hard? And also, do I enjoy this? And the answer was basically no in both. <laughs> um, I I enjoyed kind of the early stages of writing, but because I, I don't actually have aims to publish a book, I don't have aims to be a novelist. Um, uh, I, I learned a lot from it, but I think the act of just like being in the chair, typing for eight hours at a stretch uh, was... I don't know. I, I I have other things that I could be doing that I actually do move my life forward in meaningful and big ways um, that are more aligned with my goals. And so I decided after 31,000 words, I was like, okay, I've obviously, I've demonstrated that I'm capable of, of doing this, of writing just tens of thousands of words. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, ah, all right, I, I'm good. I did it. Yeah. I think it's mostly, you have to do it for a reason. Yeah. Right. And so once, once you, once the reason is passed. Yeah. Once the reason is passed. And for me, it was that the, the reason I was doing it is because I hadn't in a long time and I hadn't actually just sat down and written for a long time. So I wanted to make sure I could do it, did that and, and kind of brushed up on the skills a bit. Uh, and I've, I've also wanted to put a book like this together that I started writing and I just hadn't, I hadn't had something that was sort of like an sure. impetus to sure. do it. Cause right. there was always, cause there, for me, there just always is stuff I'd rather be spending my time doing, usually learning new stuff that could go into the book. Right. But, but just learning stuff. And so, so Nanarimo is, is a nice thing because it's this large community doing it. Uh, it sort of serves as the impetus by itself. Cause it's just an event, you know? And so for me, it was just, a, I wanted to, to use that as the, the sort of driving thing to, to just to force myself to get started on the thing, even though there was stuff that I'd rather be doing instead. So I, I use it as a mechanism to switch my priorities temporarily. Yeah. Um, but it, it, just, it definitely was the case that as soon as I truly had time, and like lots of it to do something that it didn't seem like a good use of it. Yeah. Cause that's I, only for me because yeah. it's, that's because of where my priorities are right now, which are not. Some people get really hung up at. about quitting stuff, you know? Yeah. You just got to know what your values are. Well, I think, yeah. well, I think the, the thing that makes quitting things hard or like feel weird is if you didn't actually know ahead of time what you were trying to do, because yeah. if you haven't managed to do that yet, then you should probably keep going. But if it's the case that you did, yeah. Answer the yeah. questions you wanted to answer or accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Cause to me, I mean, 50,000 words is it's arbitrary. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It Absolutely. does. It. And actually, if you read the the book, no plot, no problem, which is by the creator of national novel writing month, he's like, yeah, 50,000 words. We all just thought it seemed like a pretty good number. <laughs> There's actually no <laughs> rationale behind it. It's a good number. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems yeah. It's like a lot. Yeah. So for me, like I had always, I'd always had ideas about what it would be like to write, to write, uh, and to be a writer. And, uh, this gave me an opportunity to do that experiment and kind of see what it was like. And it turns out I just, I get a lot more joy out of, uh, programming and reading. Cool. So, yeah. uh, yep, yep. So that was it. Our right, next question comes from my wife crushed it though. I just wanted to say, yeah, that's so she true. Finished, she, she, she was finished last week. Dang. So she's still Jenna. going. Cause she's, I mean, she's writing a novel for realsies though. So, yeah. Yeah. so that was basically Nana Remo was just like what she was already doing. Now she just counted the words foreign and remote during that time, you know? Right. So yeah, she moved pretty fast. Yep. I have to say, <laughs> yep. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So next question comes from Sly Fox glove. Seth, how did you decide you wanted to program the games instead of any of the other fields right now? I'm going to start a one man operation. Any beginner tips? Mm. Uh, so I guess, I guess maybe the question is like, instead of the other fields, meaning instead of doing art or probably yeah. some, or some other aspect. Everything else related. Yeah. So I also started as a one, as a one person operation. Um, so I didn't decide I wanted to program the games. I just decided I wanted to make games and programming was one of the things that I had to do. Um, so it, then it just turned out that after doing that for about a year and a half, then when Sam and I started working on uh, butterscotch stuff, then I had a, I had moved pretty far ahead on the programming side. 
to the point where I could just do most things pretty well. And so I just kind of defaulted into that role. Mm -hmm. uh, so at no point was that I decided I wanted to be a games programmer. I just wanted to make games and that just happened to be something that I could do. Yeah. Well, all of us basically had the same thing happen where it was more a question of what is necessary currently. I will do what I is will necessary. Do what is needed. Mm -hmm. So Adam now does web programming, but when he came Not on, because we of like, a burning passion for the internet. Yeah. Yeah. He came on, we were like, <laughs> we don't know what to do with you. And so he hung out for a month or so, worked on some little projects and things. He worked on shaders yeah, that's for right. a few weeks. Well, yeah, my background was in image analysis. So I was right. like, shaders, that's just image stuff. So turns out we don't need very many of them. Nope. So, you know, that dried up. But after we got two weeks. Two, two we got some water. We got some hologram shaders. Mm -hmm. And yep. then. And then we were like, wait, these don't work on mobile. What are we even doing? Yep. Yeah. And then Adam, yeah, Adam was like, I guess I could bang out web stuff. Mm -hmm. basically so he a conversation just went, went into a cave with a box of scraps and made B-Scotch ID. Yep. Tony Stark style. Yeah. I mean, basically all of it's the same story, <laughs> which is, yep. hey, we need a thing and there's only one of us or two of us or three of us. So. Yeah, I think coincidentally, I, got it. Coincidentally, <laughs> I was the, I was the only one who came into it with some pre-existing skill that applied directly to the thing that I was doing. Correct. So that just became the natural thing that I did. Um, and then, yeah, Adam and Sam just learned stuff and no skills from the ground up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So beginner tips, just make everything, just do everything you can. Yeah. Uh, it's also the case that if you start as a one person operation, if you are able to actually do things that are good because you practice a shitload, then it becomes very easy to become a two person operation yeah. because you inspire confidence in other people at your yeah. capacity yes. to execute. Yes. So if you, if you, just decide, I want to make a video game and you just, you know, call your best friend or something and you have no skill and no capacity to actually do any of the things that you want to do. And then you say, I'm going to be the programmer. Yeah. You can be the other thing. That's a pretty tough sell. Because yeah. mm -hmm. so, so at least one person on our team needs to be able to do something. At least one person <laughs> should be able to do something. That's how we got started. Yeah. Uh, that's all you need. Yep. So you're good. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Degeki. What systems do you use to help prioritize your work day and your life? What mm. do those systems look like? I like the old idea of eating the frog, which is you decide what the most important thing is that you could get done that day. And then you and eat then you a frog. do it in the morning. <laughs> and you eat a frog. <laughs> well, the idea is that usually that's like a heavy thing. It's not, it's not going to be like, oh yeah, make this call or talk. To I'm having trouble seeing the metaphorical connection. You to know, the frog. I don't know. I think, I I think don't it's know, probably because it's like you people, don't want to eat a frog. Yeah, but you need to eat. The but frog. for some reason, but frog you need legs to, are delicious. But they you don't are, need to the eat rest the whole of the frog. Is disgusting. <laughs> That's fair. You get that tongue. Oh, it's disgusting. But yeah, I think the. I'm not sure why people were eating frogs. It's an old adage. So who knows what the circumstances old were? Old timey people said a lot of weird shit. You just say a lot of weird. It stuff. It might have just gotten lost in translation too. You know, over the years, sort of this game of telephone problem. Yep. Yeah. So, but anyways, eating the frog is the idea of when you when you're making a list for the day. If you just say, okay, what would be? I usually do ask myself the question, what would be if I did these three things? What three things if I did today would make it so that, that this day and then like the setup for tomorrow was really good. And I find that framing to be really helpful because then you say, okay, yeah, so today I should really actually just focus on this, which means I should not be paying attention to my emails or any of that shit until like 2 p.m. Until this is done. Just wait till this is done. Um, and then it also helps you set up for the future. So that's my one of my favorite ways to do it. And the other one is just to actually, uh, I in particular, because of my role on the team, tend to have to have a lot more conversations about like what I should be doing at any given point in time. Because I'm a little bit more slippery. Yeah, uh, like an eel. Like or a, kind a of fish. <laughs> or a frog. <laughs> so I can kind of, I can basically fill a lot of different uh, roles. So sometimes would you say you have to eat yourself? I Yeah. Some, that, sometimes that first frog to eat is to say, I'm going to have a talk. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to have clearly laid out goals for specific domains. Hmm. So uh, it's easy to just be like, I should save more money. Like you, you could Everybody say that should. everybody should do that. Everybody yep. says that, but before where and why and how, uh, should you invest it? Should you save it? You know, whatever. But if you say, you know, I need to save X dollars by the time I'm 40, then now all of a sudden you have an idea of how many dollars a day you need to be setting aside, whether you should be investing it, you know, all those things. And so, uh, when it comes to sort of calibrating what your activities are on a day-to-day -day basis, knowing where you're actually trying to go really helps with that. Mm -hmm. So the same thing goes with uh, health. You know, a lot of people say, I'm going to exercise more. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good thing. But if you don't have an actual destination, then it makes it harder because technically any amount of exercise you do is more right. 
and now you've done it already. But if you say like, I want to run a six minute mile. Or even say, I want to go to the gym four times this week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Get a thing that you can actually measure. Yeah. Goals. Yeah. Goals should always be measurable. But I think the, the problem that a lot of people have is they try not to structure their lives. Um, they try to, they, they kind of, like we always often talk about the work life mm-hmm. balance thing and people tend to view their work as work and their life as something else. Um, mm-hmm. And we tend to view everything as work. It's just something that you do. Everything right? is the same thing. Everything is the same thing. And, and if you want to really go places in your life, then I think having an actual plan on where the fuck you're going, you know, helps. really helps you yeah. go there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Make goals. Tips. Uh, what was the, what was the prompt again? Uh, what systems do you use to help prioritize your work day in life? I guess, I mean, most of my days are just make as much progress as I can towards something that I'm working on. So if we take like B-Scotch ID stuff or something, right? Uh, I have a very long-term goal for that. And I know exactly what all those endpoints are. I know what I need to achieve with that thing. What I'm going to get done today I have no fucking clue, right? Because I, I don't know how long anything. But you do have a, a target. Like you do have a long-term yeah, I've got a target, goal. Yeah. But when it comes to prioritizing the day. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's usually clear out all the little stuff. Eat the frogs. Mm-hmm. I guess I eat, frogs. <laughs> I eat the little frogs. You eat I, those yeah. cr- I think this is different frogs. than what Sam is talking frogs. about. Because uh, Sam's is confusingly metaphorical somehow. It so is. you're basically eating sort of like crickets yeah. and yeah, yeah. sort of Just like mealworms, mealworms, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. ants, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you basically, you scoop up all the little guys and you eat those first thing, clear out any meetings, do Just do all the other stuff that could occupy mind space and then just fucking buckle up and work. Buckle up. Yep. And, uh, buckle your pants, build that mental model and just work on stuff. Because for me, it's mostly getting that, me- that mental model built of the project that I'm working on. And then just attacking that thing and trying to get it done. Um, and if and uh, taking that in conjunction with the good enough principle, the good enough how principle. I do stuff, man, because then I'm always just making as much progress as is possible. Go. So there was a, a great metaphor. Speaking of excellent metaphors mm-hmm. um, that I was reading last night, which I think we may have talked about this a long time ago, but it's basically the idea of if you think about your, your time as like a bucket, and about the tasks that you need to do as sort of different sizes of uh, like rocks mm-hmm. and you're going to fill this bucket. So uh, if you, if you had a whole bunch of sand, meaning like yeah. representing all the little things that you need to take care of um, that don't matter that much, but that they just kind of like always there. And then you've got a bunch of like big rocks, which are the things that really matter to you that are definitely going to take a lot of time. Uh, but they're really important. Uh, if you, put the sand in first, then you're not, then it creates a new floor, right? And you can't, you actually can't fit all the big rocks in, right? So you have to give up a bunch of those things. You put the big rocks in first, then you put the sand in afterwards, then it fills fills the spot. It fills the empty spaces. So in other words, it's a metaphor, meaning uh, try to allocate your time toward the things that matter to you the most first. uh, And then, you know. Yeah. Which is literally the opposite of what I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and for there, it's because, uh, because, you also, you can't realistically just pour sand on top of a bunch of pebbles because it, it doesn't work its way through all the cracks unless you shake the fuck out of it. Well, yeah, right? you got to shake, you got to shake, shake that bucket. It. So somehow you got to shake your life up. If, if that's the strategy, <laughs> you gotta, but I, I would prefer the strategy where you just get, you just get rid of the sand, you know, because I'm not putting the sand in the bucket, but here's the I'm thing. bailing it out. The sand comes back you know? every day. It does. Yeah. But you also put strategies in place using the can we not principle. So what you do is you'd be like, to okay. minimize the amount of sand that come in so that only the sand that must be taken care of actually. So you ask the question, in. do I need to well, be? Yeah. So your bucket is here on this table, right? And every day some, some asshole mm-hmm. comes and just like plops some sand. Like the you're going to need to put that in In there. the same place yeah. on the table. And then the next day they come to drop that sand on there and they find that you've cut a hole in the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, Which is, so that's how I handle email, for example, using unsubscribes. You just delete everything. I unsubscribe <laughs> so hard from emails that it, now out of habit, even if I'm just reading another email, I actually still scroll and look for an unsubscribe link at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Even just, if it's from a, a dear friend. Yeah, even if it's from a dear friend. Hey, Adam, how's it going? You're like, oh, unsubscribe. It's just a habit. Unsubscribe. <laughs> just reply in all caps. Yeah. Somebody calls you. It's Please take me off your habit. list. Adam, I haven't talked to you in years. Unsubscribe. Yeah, and if and if a title if a title of an email looks even vaguely like a solicitation for a service or something, then I delete it immediately. And if I see it again, I'd mark it as spam. Yep. My inbox my inbox is so fucking clean. Cuz you can yeah, you it's can crazy. choose not to do most things which yeah. which is embodied in our 
Can We Not mugs mm, over yep. at shop.bscatch.net. <laughs> now on sale for Cyber Mud Week. In a bundle. No, wait, no, it isn't. They're it in is a in a bundle. Aren't the, aren't the bundles on sale? Yeah, yes. the bundles are on sale. But yeah. the one by itself is not on sale. Yeah, well, you know, obviously you would buy a bundle. I mean, the savings are unreal. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next question comes from... It, M M Cade or I'm Cade. I am Cade. I am Cade. It's like I'm Legend, but he's a Cade. Whatever mm, that is, he's it's a, a type of insect. I think. I think it's an arcade cabinet, but with the R taken off. It's just a Cade. Just a Cade cabinet. So instead of like arcade as a question, it's I am is Cade. Cade. Yeah, I am Cade. This is the answer to the question. Arcade. arcade. I am Cade. <laughs> I am. Cade. I am Cade. Says this is a group situation. <laughs> what are your thoughts on pre-order and beta testing rewards? Example, paid for a game in beta. I was promised sweet loot for being a founder. But the week of launch, you could order the game and the same stuff I got for being a founder. What are your thoughts? So this is actually really weird and complicated because uh, so part of it is to think about it, not just from, so if you think about it from a business standpoint, there's some angles that come that are very obvious. And you think about it actually from overall sort of delivery of an experience standpoint, there's other ones that I think are less obvious. So uh, for us, part of the reasons why we've, whenever we talk about the ability, for example, to do like a, you know, a beta buy-in thing, like you, you actually just buy the game, but you, you're buying it and getting access to the beta. Um, part of it is that as a, as people who have played a lot of games and have been very excited about some games, having the, being able to deliver that experience to someone where it's like, you get to get in early is super cool, right? Very exciting. But when it comes to actually the business side of things, um, we've actually only sort of been bitten by by it because we did pre-orders with the Crashlands. Uh, but that they were full price because we, I think they were full price, right? Yep. Yeah. So we just put up a pre-order On thing, Steam only. On Steam only. Uh, and you got it through Humble. And uh, that was a very easy way for us to, I mean, we didn't need to do it. I think we did it because we were like, this seems like a good thing. People do, do pre-orders, do right? This. Let's do pre-orders. Um, and the thing to understand is like, we didn't make, like we made maybe a couple thousand dollars off it. Not even. Not even. I think about a thousand. Maybe a thousand dollars total. Yeah. And this is when the company had no money. So, of course, that was a huge spike in revenue. <laughs> but, it was but, like, uh, a, like a quintupling of our yeah. monthly revenue. <laughs> but but overall, uh, it didn't actually matter much. And what it actually did is put us in this weird bind exactly what you're talking about, which is uh, we ended up, when we, when we went into the launch uh, window, that was where... You know, a lot of people at that point in time were doing say like a ten percent discount or fifty. Like a launch discount. day sale. Yeah, just to get people really excited about getting in on on the ground floor. And we actually realized that we couldn't quite do that. You know, we didn't feel good about doing that because our like that sort of the founders, the people who got in really early and didn't get anything. They, they paid full price. Paid full price. Uh we would be sort of like kind of slapping them in the face a little bit by giving like, Ooh, had you not pre ordered, you would have gotten uh discount. It up. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so it's it's one of those things actually as a dev that's really hard to because it's just impossible to foresee the situation that you're going to launch in and also kind of what the context of that is. It's basically impossible to to not like potentially cause some strife, some backlash with something that you were trying to actually well, make but, an interesting. But if experience. you think about it from the other side too, if if you were a person who wasn't involved with uh, mm -hmm. beta testing or whatever, all these beta testers got some extra sweet loot, right? And then you go. You hadn't even heard of the game, right? Like comes out, you see it pop up on Steam. You're in other words, oh you're my saying, god, this looks like exactly the kind of thing you I were just an love. innocent bystander. You're an innocent like, bystander. Right. So now you go buy the game, you get into it, you're playing, you're having a fucking great time. Then you're like, you're like, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure how this thing works. So then you go look in the forums, you know, and you, and you join some community, and you're just fucking pumped about this game. And then you see a screenshot of somebody showing off some cool armor They're set, dope ass hoverboard. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, what do I need to do in the game to get that? And they're just like, oh, you can't. You can't. Like it's that in the game. Yeah. yeah, it's in there because I can play it. You know, my game copy is the same as your mm -hmm. game copy. The thing is there. You just you just don't get to have this. Right. Forever now. Yeah. And now and then and now couple that with the fact that in except in very, very rare, weird circumstances, the vast, vast majority of all the people playing a game are people who did not beta test it and Correct. did not pre order it. Which means that you've basically just decided to give this very limited pool of people access to content that you're just not letting the majority of your players have even if they would enjoy through it. no fault of their own they just through didn't, no fault of their they own didn't they didn't know maybe they didn't have the cash on hand to pre-order well, and most people wouldn't even have known because people don't pay that much attention mm -hmm. to stuff right so, yeah. so there will Especially be people, games that haven't launched yet right so my personal position on this is that if that that using these things is basically just bribery to try to mm -hmm. convince somebody to do something that they don't want to do 
Because if you're saying, I don't think it ever does that though. But if you're saying you like pre-order, you get this pre-order bonus, right? It's this exclusive content that you won't get, right? If well, because I think importantly, what's the point of pre-ordering? There is no point, right? There's no reason to. Well, pre-order no, but that's, that's where I disagree because I think part of part of the excitement of like being wrapped up in sort of you know the pre-launch process for a game is actually just being really really excited and being able to declare like I'm really fucking pumped about Fallout Four or whatever else I'm going to pre-order it. You know, like sure. it's, it's, I think it's actually a, and that's fine from you a user experience. Reward, you shouldn't get rewarded in addition. If, if the whole, if the idea is that this is already a reward, right. For being excited about the thing as a consumer of it, then you don't need to add this other stuff on top. I agree. And that's, that's, I think where we kind of landed on it, which was, we won't be offering like, you know, variable rewards of any sort, actual content rewards of any sort, uh, for any pre-order stuff in the future, just because it starts putting us in this weird, just this really weird place. Um, and as far as even just offering pre-orders, it's just sort of that question of, you know, if we're at a point where we think we can, we actually sort of know what our plan is and what our launch plan is going to be, which was part of the problem with Crashlands at that time, um, then we can more constructively kind of figure out a mechanism to, to do that. If it's a 10% thing, like, oh, 10% off if you pre-order, we're also going to do a 10% launch day sale just so you know, you know, everyone going in with open eyes. Or maybe a 9% launch day sale, so you're going to save that penny. That's right. You know. <laughs> over, over <laughs> well, but, but, but alternatively, if... Because like you're saying, the getting into a thing early and being part of the dev process and that kind of stuff is the thing that people get excited about. I be, I'm excited about for other games that mm-hmm. aren't the ones we make, you know. So as a, as a consumer of games, you get excited when something is coming out that you like and you want to get involved. Uh, that in itself is already a reward. Right. And in fact, a lot of games, especially a couple of years ago, back when uh, early access was actually important and did mm-hmm. good things, you know. Uh, a lot of games would, or there, there was a handful of games that would sell more during early access than at launch. Right. And they actually, told that was, that was that. really common. It was really common. Yeah. And they actually, and they explicitly told people, Hey, this is, this is the price. Now we're actually going to have a lower price at launch. This higher price uh, is basically meant to sort of like actually gatekeep a little bit, right. like keep, because we don't want get the people who care and get here, the people then. who really care and really excited about it. Um, and, uh, and so they actually use it as a mechanism to kind of keep their population of players a little bit lower right. even. Right. Uh, and, and so it can be okay if you do a launch day sale, but your beta testers got the game for full price or whatever, right? right? If everybody knows that that's either that that's going to happen or that's a possibility. Right. So that now they're opting into that system so that now it doesn't feel unfair. Like, right. they, like they didn't know what was going to happen. And because the fact is that, you know, we, we didn't need to still launch at full price when we launched Crashlands because our beta testers or all, all the people who pre-ordered the game, we put, we let them get into the beta if they wanted to. That's true, right? So we actually gave them all early access. Right. And these are all the people who are the most pumped about the game. I think we also sent them extra keys. In the game we break. did for our beta testers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Who, Not for pre-orders, maybe. Correct. Yeah. But many of those are actually the same. So think, yeah. yeah. Basically right. the it same. They're basically the same 100 people. Right. And so, <laughs> and so what those people who were really actually opting into uh, was being a part of... It's being a part of the biggest It's thing. being a part of that thing. Right. 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 And I think that is what the value of it is. So when people yeah. are always very anti-pre-orders, I think it's... I, I agree with it in, in some of these cases when it comes to the fact that oftentimes it's this weird business practice that's happening. But but I think if they're handled really, really effectively, then you do actually get that really wonderful feeling of being a part of this thing before it happens and also kind of being on the ground floor. This idea of being a founder, for example, like those founder packs, there's a ton of games now on Steam that have a founder pack, even when they, they launch fully, but they have like a, you can basically just pay more for it yeah. even. Um, right. I think... Uh, is it heat signature or something like that? One of the new ones that came out um, actually just has a, a version that just costs like $10 more. It's like a supporter pack. I think you I was looking at this yesterday. Yeah. You just pay more. You can just, pay, <laughs> you can just pay more. Same game. Which is cool. I'm like, it's, you know, if you're into it, go for it. I mean, um, itch, itch.io has their pay what you want slider. Mm-hmm. You can set a floor and you can say like the game costs $5, but people can pay whatever they want right. for it. You know, um, which is a thing that pe- some people really go after. Yeah. So I, I think if they're, if they're oriented around uh, getting people to feel involved in a community that's around the game and in a movement that's around the game, then I think pre-orders are actually awesome. But yeah. Uh, but I think that is where, where pre-order content fucks everything up yes. because it changes the relationship. Yeah. Well, it becomes transactional instead of social. Yeah. Well, cause now, now the person isn't, isn't becoming involved in the launch of the game. They're buying content for mm-hmm. the game which is just a different kind of thing. And so now that relationship is different. Um, and I think only for the worse. Right. All right. So the next question comes from Peebnuts123. Amazing. <laughs> you guys have grown. So I think it's, I mean, we, yeah, we are, I think I'm probably five more pounds. I've actually shrunk. Adam shrunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam grew a About little bit. Yeah. Uh, so probably, I think on average, 
we hit, same, we're really. maybe one or two pounds up. Yeah. Uh, you guys have grown, so I think it's probably a good time to ask about team sizes. What team sizes do you think are optimal? What are the biggest challenges in scaling? How many people is too many? So mm. I think two is, is probably too many. Uh, <laughs> the optimal team size is one because you will never get a more efficient allocation of time. Yep. No communication to worry about. You know, no meetings. No uh, planning. Your resource costs are very low. The entire organization is just self-aware it's, of every moving part. Yeah. Yep. There's Which nothing, really incredible. if you're a team size of one, nothing happens on the team that the entire team is unaware of, mm-hmm. yep. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have to tell anybody about it. Then you have to, no meetings, no emails, no, uh, no syncing up. Your mm-hmm. synergy is no, through the roof. A team of two is almost as good because there's actually just one line of communication. Yeah. And if you're- yeah, I think a team of two is actually infinitely worse. I mean, it's infinitely worse, but somehow also- But the difference also, between two and three is really big though. Yeah. 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 Because so, the team of one is the perfect team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a team of two, there's one line of communication you got to manage. Yeah. And if which, you're working- Which is a lot though. It's a lot, but if you're working in the same space, you can kind of like, you're kind of picking up on you it. You kind of know. Yeah. So it's not quite into the management territory. And then you get into the three- but two, but two, it is the case of that as soon as you have two people, now systems have to be in place. Yep. You need systems. Well, I need have, to know what you're doing. Right. When you have three people, it's still the same systems. Now they just have to be more efficient. And then right. that just kind of goes. Because from, when you go from two to three, you actually go from one line of communication to three lines of communication. Or two per person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I need to know what Seth's doing. Seth needs to know what Ab's doing. And I need to know what Ab's doing. Blah, blah. So yep. each point, person needs to know what two other people is up to. Correct. And then as you go up from there, the number of communication lines explodes yeah so even at combinatorial even at our small size we start handling like a dozen just some stupid number for how many people we have um Mm -hmm. i think when you have 10 people on your team there's four billion lines of communication approximately something like that at least yeah so uh i think if it really depends on what you're trying to do i think if you're learning and you're early on in your dev stuff i think having just you is super kick-ass because you really in-depth learn each aspect of the thing or at least you know and nothing that, slows you down. Nothing but you. Except for, your own, is, except for your own personal problems. Which yep, usually which, there are of which of. there are many. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got to work on those. And then once you work those out, then you get another person. Because the beauty of having more people is that if all your systems are functioning well and your people are functioning well, then you can do a lot of things simultaneously, yep. which you just can't do. We've talked about multitasking. It's dumb. It doesn't work. So... Once you have, you know, a couple people at your disposal, then Adam can be building web tech, Seth programs the game, and I go talk to people about it. And now three things are happening mm-hmm. at the same time. At the same time. It's crazy. And but there's now a we have to have meetings. Then we have to have a meeting. Stuff. Yeah, we have <laughs> to have like, a what meeting. What happened? Like, how was that talking to people? And you're yeah. like, good. And how was programming the game? It looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then now we've synced up. Yep. So, so your syncing costs have to be kept as low as possible. Because basically your, administrator, your administrative overhead scales up with the sort of... Uh, the explosive scale of those communication lines. So you gotta you gotta figure out how to lock that down so you're not just trapped in meeting hell all the time. Which is why any anytime I talk to somebody who's like, oh, we're starting up a studio, you know, I have me and eight friends or something. I'm like, no, fire everybody, cool, fire everybody. <laughs> uh, keep it as small as possible at the outset. Have a really good reason for each person that gets added, like a, mm-hmm. like as in nobody else can do it. Yeah, as in nobody else can do it, or if that if that person isn't there, then there's no way you can actually get the work done you need to get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like, that's where we were when we so like, take like taking uh, our studio Wrangler as an example. So Seth used to have to handle all of our legal and accounting stuff. Yeah. So that meant every week you'd easily spend what? Which wasn't, which wasn't a big deal before crash lands. Mm-hmm. Cause we didn't, we, we had didn't very minimal money and no legal. We had no money <laughs> and nobody was trying to do business with us. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> This is referred to as breaking the hound barrier, where suddenly you've been successful enough that you have to invest in the things that help you keep that success. Because you're being hounded? No. As in like is this like a, a guard dog thing dog. again? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting a guard dog for the house, you know? The hound barrier. The hound, breaking the hound barrier. Oh, because you have enough stuff that you need to you need That to you have to invest in securing it. Right. Yeah. Which is what that is. Once the crash lands hit, then we're like, oh shit. Yeah, because it, it's true. Twenty hours a week doing all this. Yeah, stuff. back before Crashlands, like money just came in and we just paid ourselves, and that was the end of the story. Well, literally no, nothing happened. Almost no money came in, but it, but yeah, yeah but like <laughs> almost all that little like money that did come in, in yeah. just went right back out to us as as the employees of the company, right? Yeah, and and we didn't we had very little like our our overhead in terms of software, in terms of legal stuff, and like everything was very low because we couldn't 
we couldn't afford. We couldn't any of afford it. anything that so would cost we just us didn't also, have it. Also, <laughs> the, the cost of any adding any one additional service because there's only three of us was also super low. Yeah. So if we were like, oh, maybe I'll try this Dropbox plan thing. It's yep. like, okay, just do it because it's fifty bucks. Who cares? Yeah. But now if you're like, okay, we're gonna try it. Now it costs us fifteen hundred dollars a year yep. for Dropbox. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> that's kind of a decision now that has to be made as opposed to just. Now being you gotta like, have whatever. a meeting about it. Yep. <laughs> Damn it sucks. So yeah. So then so then once. As things grow, then things have to keep growing to sort of maintain it. And so the, the goal, you got to keep all that in check really, really hard. And I will say, if, if you don't have any interest in running a studio, do not grow beyond like three people. Yeah. Or maybe and, even And two. also don't have maybe any success. Two. Also don't have any success. Yeah. yeah. That is true. Because yeah. whether we added people or not, we would be buried by business uh, negotiations yes. and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Before we got our full team on, the truth is like we were we were just handling being alive we were drowning instead of it yeah yeah it sucked yeah so in that case the optimal <laughs> team size is however many you need yeah to but, get everybody but, need, uh, ideally one less than that yeah i think one less. I, th I think everybody needs to still be scrappy and kind of fighting for it people know? can do a little more than they think they can yeah because you know. yeah, if 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 you're ever unsure if like someone is like really going at something because like there's so many people that you can't really tell you know mm -hmm. like what do you do here well, yeah exactly right then uh then you got too many people yeah at that point. Yeah. And actually, so we had a, a friend staying from Germany mm -hmm. for the past few days, uh, old college friend and over to GB. Mm -hmm. And she was fascinated about, uh, just how our studio works and everything. And she, she's an MBA and she was asking all kinds of questions about just like how business is run here in the United States and everything. And <clears throat> she was most interested in the concept of at will employment. Mm-hmm. Because in Germany, uh, if somebody is to leave a company, they were, there's a three months notice requirement, regardless of the circumstance. Yeah. So if, if a manager is firing someone versus, or if that person's quitting, you have to give three months yeah. notice. And you're now you're still there for three months, <laughs> just knowing. <laughs> um, so apparently it's very hard to exit a company, no matter what the circumstances are. If, if the company's out of money, somehow they're still legally required to keep that person around. Mm. Uh, or every person around uh, for three months and, and give them adequate notice. I don't understand the logistics of this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a very conservative but, approach. So it still might only apply to large companies. I have no idea. It yeah. might, but I guess that is the, that it, but because if not, then that is the case. Then you have to be even more wary of like, if you, if you say, oh, we're going to have, you know, 10 people on our, on our <laughs> team and you start up a studio and all of a sudden you discover that you can't handle that. And you're also now legally obligated to keep everybody around. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause so especially wow. when you're really small, everybody on the team is, super essential to the functioning of that team. Yep. And so if you also can't replace somebody because of the legal setup of, of wherever you're doing things and um, because the costs are too high, mm -hmm. then that, that makes now the cost of hiring really scary and the risks of hiring yeah. really, really out, out of control. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that was something that we worry about a lot with too, even though, even though we don't have nearly as big of a problem as that, <laughs> as a, as an at will um, system, yeah, we we're, still, we're in the U.S. where the government is like, oh, your business? Okay, laws don't apply. Yeah. No <laughs> well, but when you, when you get big enough, they start applying again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but it makes sense, you know, because the fact is we, the small companies like ours, wouldn't be able to survive those laws. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd be very agile yeah. to stay alive. Yeah. All companies would, I mean, in all the companies that existed once that law went into place, if it existed, would be the only companies that ever got to exist from yeah. now on. Yeah. I mean, it, it does it does say something about, you know, why it is that, that Silicon Valley, you know, that, that the sort of like heart of this, the startup uh, scene of the world is in the U S yeah. because mm -hmm. of the extremely loose requirements for a right. small company to get started and get off the ground, um, which there basically are none. Mm -hmm. you need, yeah. Like you need to be a legal entity, which and would then, cost you like a hundred dollars. <laughs> you're good to go. And now you're good to go. Yep. So uh, anyways, moral of the story when it comes to team sizes, uh, small as possible. Keep it, and then minus one. Yeah, small as possible, minus one. Unless you're solo, in which case, <laughs> keep the one. Keep yeah. the one. Well, there's you, a sort of a max. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah. a min. There's yeah. a min function yeah. here. No, a max function. You want to keep it. <laughs> there's a floor. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's all the time we have for this week. So uh, we'd like to thank our studio wrangler Monique and our producer Fat Barb for putting this episode together. And the Scotch dev team for having our backs while we record this podcast. Special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And if you'd like to get more involved in the Scotch community, you can head over to our Discord server, which is at discord.gg slash bscotch. Come say hey. 
Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop, which is at shop.bscotch.net. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are having a Cyberman Week sale. So uh, get those bundles at, I think they're 10% off. Thank you, man. Which, considering they are, I think, $35,000 per bundle normally. Huge savings. So the savings are just, I mean, astronomical. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, if you'd like to adorn us with your swag, we have a mailbox. So you can send us something over at mailbox.bscotch.net. We'll appreciate it. We open everything. And we also get alerts so that we know when something arrives. Uh, That doesn't mean that we will be able to get it immediately. So don't send us puppies no living beings no living yeah. creatures of any kind we cannot guarantee how long they will no be food there that spoils and no spoiling food no meat time frame uh just uh you know just think about it mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. although jerky would probably work jerky we i don't think could, jerky ever spoils yeah it never spoils yeah because it's just salt and it's just delicious yep. yeah uh all right so that's all the time we have thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye bye, bye.